Why is it that some men are able to create thriving relationships, financial abundance, and deep fulfillment and happiness, while so many others seem to stay stuck in mediocrity, unable to have what they want in life? My name is Dave Wheel, and this podcast is about the men out there doing the work themselves and leading the charge and sharing it with the world. It's my mission to inspire more men to step up, face their fears, and do the work so more men can overcome their suffering, create better relationships, and have more fulfillment in their lives. This is Men Doing the Work by Alpha Rising. Welcome back to the show. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with my man, Chris Hawk, a renaissance man of sorts, uh, (laughs) who does all sorts of different things, DJing, event producing, real estate investing, all, all sorts of wild stuff. He's also been a local here in Nosara, Costa Rica for over 10 uh, years Yeah, now. 11 years. No. 11 years now, way before it was cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you so much for being here. Uh, welcome. How are you doing today? It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, brother. I've, I've been wanting to get on the show for a while, so yeah. I finally got it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm stoked. Uh, it's going to be a fun combo. Uh, you know, you've been on this so so to speak spiritual path for a long time now uh sharing a lot of stuff inspiring a lot of people to dig in and and do more of this work themselves so uh and you've gone down some deep ass rabbit holes (laughs) as well so and i made it back yes that's that's the real (laughs) keep resurfacing that's the real challenge uh epic well thanks again for being here stoked to dig in uh so let's let's start off a little high level doing the work this, yeah. this conversation, what this show is all about. What does that, what does that concept mean to you? Um, well, I would say that that concept has changed over the course of time for me personally because um, I had my awakening very early. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in like 2000. And so my initial step into like doing the work was from a much different perspective as it is now, right? Because a lot of the foundational work's already been done and stuff and now it's like really just fine-tuning the mast of where my ship is sailing Mm. so you know back then when I had my initial awakening I went I went hard and I went deep and you know diet you start to learn about your diet and like realize just how much foods affect you so it was like cleaning up right away and I I didn't really hesitate on anything it was into the gym and then that's when I started to learn about Tai Chi and Qigong and Prana and energy and Mm. like started to do my energy practice and learn about those and then learning about meditation you know and, and going through those stages of like what am I doing right now mm. you know, am I just wasting time and then slowly when you hit that first nugget of stillness and that's the catalyst like oh what was that mm. what was that moment right especially in a world that is so busy Chaotic, so, so. Yeah. exactly so when when somebody can have a direct experience of stillness and silence on on the deepest level that's the real red pill. That mm. You don't come back from that and forget about it. It's always there. And so it, was, it had just been like the, doing the work was staying in that and doing an intense amount. I was probably six hours a day in, those initially, in the initial year of cycling from like two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, two hours in the evening from physical to mental, emotional to like spiritual. And I would I would cycle and it would depend on on each day, but mostly the morning was like, get up, go for my run, go to the gym, like get the physical stuff, and then I'd come home later in the day, have a little bit of like fatigue because it was you know I was pushing myself, and then use that midday for like shavasana and start to do like the energy work stuff and breath work to give me enough energy to get through the backside of the day, and then in the evening before sleep would be like two hours into like my practice with uh, meditation and, and really trying to get deeper and open those moments of stillness into larger moments of stillness Mm. longer moments of stillness whereas now to me it's it's much different because I can drop into that I'm mostly in that throughout the course of my day so if I catch myself coming out of it I can drop back into it quite easily right because I've already laid all the groundwork and 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 done all that cultivated uh the practice of being in that most of the time and that's the real practice right it's like people go to yoga they, they tap into it 
during the class and then yeah. as soon as the class is done it's like it's rock back into my mind shoes <laughs> like, I don't know I'm work. And like work and I have a meeting <laughs> and so it's really about bringing that out into the world mm-hmm. and allowing that to ripple out right allowing that, that state of consciousness of that stillness and, and then people feel it when you, when you walk into an aura that has done the work you feel it there's something there about the presence and, the, and, and, and whether it's unconscious, you know, if, even if people are unconscious still, you know, to a certain degree, they'll feel it unconsciously. They're just like, I don't know what it is, but I, just feel, I around feel great you. around this person. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that's when like, yeah. you know, they're like, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I just feel really safe to open up to you for some reason. Exactly. And then, you know, people who've, who've done more of the work and, and maybe tapped into larger aspects of awareness of themselves and, and stuff can see it more clearly and feel it more clearly because they've they're part of it too now right okay. like, oh I found another mm. so yeah it's 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 just been a, a continued evolution mm. right and then I think coming here being in Costa Rica has allowed me because the, the environment here is much more conducive to my natural state of being right it's not like I'm in the city anymore where I have to do my practices way more in order to maintain that center and that state of being. Yeah. Right? This place has a natural energy of that. It's exactly. just calming. It's green. It's beautiful. It's like natural. <laughs> Nature. And it's very raw. It's very primal. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not manicured. It's not like Manic- Mexico or Hawaii or some of those places where you yeah. go and it's, you know, it's, this is very raw. Yeah, there's little pockets of manicure and then everything else oh, is dry. Right. It's like nothing. It's like having one fingernail painted. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, oh, that's but Yeah, I was yeah. there. <laughs> totally. And then it's like you look at my fingernails and they're just filled with dirt. Yeah. <laughs> As they should be. Exactly. Well, when uh, you're working on the land. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, what was the... Was there like a catalyst for you starting to open up to this stuff way back? Yeah, well, it was interesting because I think I was naturally aware and conscious, but I wasn't aware that I was aware and conscious, huh. right? And it wasn't, it would be little things like comments that people would make sometimes like, oh, you saw that or you, you're, that was an incredible thing, like way that you perceived that or explained that or even as a kid, right? And then my grandmother would always say like, you know, you're your level of compassion and like caring stuff and like seeing things that other people don't see was always very high and and at times I was like oh you're just being my grandmother and saying that but even like neighbors would say stuff like something you know there and so it wasn't until I left home and I started the fashion career I was working in fashion um, that I got kind of caught up in that and that's when the ego sort of really started to step in it yeah, I mean, everything of was getting thrown at me. It was like, rather ego-centered. <laughs> free this, free that, and just, you know. And so... You just need to be here and look good, and <laughs> we're going to give you all the things. Exactly. <laughs> and so it was during that sort of early period where I kind of lost myself. But it was through losing myself that I refound myself in a whole different way, mm-hmm. right? And there was, um, I, got a little bit of, I got a little sick. I ended up uh, developing ulcerative colitis. I had incredible anxiety. I was doing a lot of like ecstasy and, and like, you know, pushing yourself, pushing myself. Yeah. And so what eventually happened was I ended up starting to like lose work and stuff. I was getting really thin and like, and then some clients were like, well, he doesn't look even for the modeling world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've always been very lean. So it was like another level though. And so, um, that was my mother actually had called me one day and was like, I had a dream that you're doing a lot of drugs and I, that was the moment because I was like it had just happened from the agency that contacted me and they were like you know they're saying that you don't look that good and we wanted to check in with you and whatever and then my mom called me and told me this dream and then that's like that that essence aspect of myself there was a resonance there mm. that kind of rippled through and it was like pay attention, pay attention. exactly <laughs> like this is you know and so that was the catalyst really because then I went to the doctors, they did the consultation, and then told me I was developing ulcerative colitis, and then they were like, you're going to have to take these drugs for the rest of your life, and I'm like 20 years old, right? I'm like, like, my life's over, I just was having fun. So, 
Um, literally from the doctor's office, I was walking back, and I, it was, I'm trying to remember Toronto, but Blur and University, there used to be an Indigo bookstore there, like back in the day. And so I was walking that way, and then I felt my intuition again, and it kind of was like, go into the store. So I went <laughs> into the bookstore, and then I was like, ulcerative colitis. So I started looking at books, and I was looking more in Western, you know, med- medicine stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it was all just like physical, physical, physical. But this like feeling that had been activated within me was like pulling. It was like, don't leave, like keep thing. And so this is 2000. So I'm kind of like f- trying to feel this this like little bubble that's coming through me. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, what is this feeling? And why can't I let it go? And so in the corner was like the holistic kind of corner, you know, back mm-hmm. then it was, yeah, it was such a small tiny, piece it was like of 20 it. books or yeah. something. And so there was this one book and it was talking about diseases or something like that emotional, mental connection to dis-ease, mm-hmm. right? and like the hyphen in between there. And I ended up picking it up and then looking through and then I found ulcerative colitis and then I, it started to talk about anxiety and I was like, oh my God, that's tied to the anxiety thing. And then it pretty much was stating that it's a perception of being separate from life. Mm. And so they had a mantra for it, which is, I am a part of the divine flow of life. And that was it. And then as soon as I said it once, I felt the the ripple again, right? That little bubble. And I was like, okay. So I was like, I don't, I threw the drugs in the garbage. (laughs) I didn't even, it was the note, right? I just like crumpled it up, threw it in the garbage. And like every, that's all I kept saying. I'm a part of the divine flow of life. I'm part of like, got on the subway, went back home, part of the divine flow, jumped in the shower, I'm part of the divine flow of life. <laughs> started singing it. I was just like, that was it. And it was, then it just started happening. Like I wasn't even trying to do it. It was just coming through me. Mm. And slowly within like a very short window, just my energy shifted. Everything started shifting. And then I ended up going back home to British Columbia to see my family for Christmas. And, um, I was like kind of still going through this like a wave, right? It was like I'd kind of bottom out emotionally and like the anxiety would kind of kick back in and then I'd remember and I was like part of the final oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'd come back through again. And so I ended up um, one day I was like sitting in the living room of my family's home and was like, um, God, if you're there, I really need you to come through. You know, like this is, this is a moment for me, like a crisis. And so I ended up, I was in the living room and I remember like after like having this prayer, I was like on my, and laying down, literally like a movie, you know, like the clouds parted outside and this like ray of light came through <laughs> no. and like hit me while I was lying down. I just felt this warmth come from the sun, like over me. Right. And this was Christmas time. So it was cold outside. So yeah. the room was kind of chilly, but this ray of light was like hitting me and just started warming me up. And so I had my eyes closed and I was lying there and I was just like, felt the warmth start to come through and slowly... I started to have like almost an out-of-body experience and I felt like these waves, almost like, like an ocean wave kind of washing over me mm-hmm. and I fell asleep to it with the warmth of the sun on top of me and when I woke up, I'm like all the anxiety was gone, everything had dissipated and I was just, even when I came out of the room, my mom looked at me and she's like, what happened to you? And I'm like, everything's going to be amazing, mom. Like th- that old part of me, the original part of me came through fully. It wasn't like wavy anymore. So I ended up, like two days later, jumping on a flight, coming back home to Toronto. And one of my best friends I was living at that time, Ralph Matty, um, I came into the apartment and there was a book sitting on the table. And my friend Ralph doesn't really read. So this, <laughs> this threw me off. He was a party promoter, you know? Like, it was just, you know, different things. So this is what caught me. It was a white book sitting on the table, no cover, and so I came in like thing, and I was talking to him, but it was kind of pulling at me. Yeah. Like, there was an energy that was pulling him. And so I went to my room and I dropped off my stuff and I came back out and he was leaving because he was doing an event that night. I got in late, like just before he left. I'm like, whose book is this? He's like, I don't know. And he like walked out the door. <laughs> so I'm like, well, it's not mine because I haven't been here for a month. Right? And so I sat down and like turned on the TV and just like, I think I had a, like a pager at that time. I reacted. <laughs> and I was like, who called? And so, um, yeah, I started watching TV or something. And within, I, I got up to go to the washroom. And like, while I was in the washroom, I looked in the mirror and the book is like in my line of sight. And then I went to the kitchen and like, 
the book was in my line of sight. <laughs> and I went to my room and like off the window looking outside, the book was in like everywhere I went and like it was just it screaming was at you. Pulling at me. <laughs> so finally I'm like, okay. So I go back, I sit down, I open the book, and about halfway through the book is um, this dialogue that's happening. It's talking about duality and positive negative hot and cold it's like temperature but it's still they're just polarities but they're actually connected mm. and so i was kind of confused because it was i was in the middle of the book and so i closed it put it back down ordered some food or something and then when i came back i finally just opened the front page and I'm like okay what is this thing and it's like the opening was something like i've heard your cries and your prayers are you prepared to have a conversation with god and the book was called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. Mm. And so that night, I had a full catharsis with this book. It was, for that moment in time for me, was the catalyst that really started to take me to the next level. Mm. And I would, I remember I was like reading, and I would have a question in my mind, and like the next page was the question. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? So that book was the catalyst. And then from there, it was just, the gym started. Down the street was a Tai Chi place. Just past that was a Qigong place. And then that's when the, that whole process started to, to build and build and huh. build and build. Uh-huh. Until I got to a point where I almost got too high for that time. And I was feeling very disconnected from everybody and I had nobody to talk to. And like uh-huh. having this full awakening at this stage with nobody Not really having. to share. It, it all really came intuitively and through through books it was like the next book would come in and that's what happened I went, and there was a book uh, bookstore called Alpha of the Omega Center down in Yorkville at this time and so all of this is happening I'm like oh my goodness I don't really know what's going on I'm like worried about fractured psyche or something like this and then I went into this store and I walk around the corner and a book falls off the shelf right in front of me and I'm like okay there's the next book and then it just kept happening like that like the next book would be present already it was, and it was a really, really special experience. And then I started to realize how that was happening in regards to my higher self and like guides and all of these energies. And, and, exactly. And like actual physical things happening too. It wasn't yeah. just in my imagination. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, that was the initial like... Wild. <laughs> yeah. And, and when did that... When did you get to the point? Because that was about... 10 years before coming down here then? Yeah. So there would have been like a whole transition of like building that up and were there any other like big chunks of, or big chapters like after? Oh yeah, huge chapters, 100%. It was like my first Vipassana course, you mm-hmm. know, that was in 2005. I mean, I started teaching in 2002, like just teaching the breath work and stuff that I was doing because friends started to see what was happening. Like initially, I mean, we were 20 years old, 20, yeah. 20 24 years old back in 2000 yeah. it's not like now where a lot of the kids are already becoming much yeah, more yeah. aware and conscious and so they just yeah, started yeah there wasn't a thing back then no <laughs> and the, the initial resistance from my circle of friends was very very high like, yeah. just like dude what is wrong with you you know and I'm like what are you doing right? yeah exactly and I was talking about energy and chakras and, you know, and all this stuff and like we're going to go party yeah <laughs> um Oh, I think I just lost my train of thought. Well, then what, what, when did oh, yeah. that so then, Yeah, so then I started teaching a bit. Like, a friend had a studio downtown, like a gym. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I'd love to just share some of the things that I've been learning. And then those ended up becoming really popular. Mm-hmm. And he was like, we were not expecting this. Yeah. Like, but it was mostly friends or friends of friends. Right. Because they saw what was happening to me. Like, the transition that had happened to me, going from, like, really thin and kind of, like anxiety ridden for a period and even my voice I wasn't speaking to the fullness of my expression Mm. and then once this change started and they just saw all of a sudden like I was at the gym I was shredded I was speaking out fully you know and like no inhibition in regards to what I was sharing or anything and it was like if you don't like it then you don't have to listen to me no I'm not yelling this in the corner stop (laughs) listening you ask me something and I'm sharing my perspective like I'm sorry if that bothers you but it's not my shit. Mm. So then was the, my first Vipassana. Mm-hmm. And that was a, another catalyst because it was just pushing myself to that extent, you know, and like no speaking, no reading, no writing, nothing. Yeah. 
11 odd hours of meditation a day for 10 days straight and then from there I went to India and I did my teacher's training in India and Kerala Goa and then I spent four months there but I was in a really bad car accident so I had to come back because I wanted to get up to the Himalayas and stuff but I had to come back from that and then when I got back from that Ralph my my friend um, was in a relationship and they were having a baby and his midwife was unable to make it when her water broke and so they reached out to me and I was actually part of the birthing process for the baby no way yeah it was a very very special moment Um, I I arrived at the hospital and they just gave Ryan the epidural and Ralph was at the edge of the bed but he was just pacing back and forth like you could see the stress (laughs) oh my god this is really happening this is really happening so I went into the room nurse was like yeah you can go and say hi and I sat down and Ryan was like I'm so cold I'm so cold so I just started to do a little guiding meditation with her. I was like, just close your eyes, sweetie, and I like, hold my hand. And then I started to talk to her, and I was just like, you know, feel your breath, start to fall through. And then Ralph, I'm like, can you just stop moving and pacing? Sit down and start to massage your feet. Like, feel the connection. So he started to massage your feet. He'd start to ask questions. I'm like, don't talk. Just close your eyes <laughs> and put as much love as you can into her feet. And then I started to do the, the little guided meditation with her with the breath work. And within five minutes, they were both snoring. Like, <laughs> and the nurse comes in and she's like, "Hey, we're And she takes a look, and I'm, I put my finger up and I was like, "Shh!" And then she's like, "Okay, like, three minutes." Three minutes. And I'm like, okay, three minutes. So she leaves, and then comes back in with the doctor, and and wakes them up, and then looks at me and she's like, "Just keep doing what you're doing." And I was like, "Okay." So I just ended up staying. I was like, "Ryan, just stay in that flow that we're talking about." way to feel you know on the inhales and expansion and on the exhale relax and don't push i want you to like allow it to find its way out mm. and it was a 35 minute process and the baby came out and the moment that moment that that uh, aiden who was the little girl made eye contact with ryan like it wasn't even just the birthing process it was the moment that there was that connection of the eye contact that's what like I was just like (laughs) I just started weeping (laughs) my heart was just like yeah it was pretty spectacular wow so you can see it still oh yeah yeah, you're tearing up a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah because it was a special moment that Mm. will always be with me so I'm very grateful for that that's beautiful yeah um Realizing that you had a bit of a gift for it, I'm sure, at that point. Yeah, and, and also just about having a near-death experience prior, like mm-hmm. a few months prior to that in India, right? So it was to go from those polarities, again, which like then brings me back to the book, was, you know, all these overlays of like teachings that just... Under, understanding a teaching intellectually is much different than understanding it experientially. Oh, yeah. Right, they're two very different things. So. Yeah, like knowing it and being it. Kind exactly, of like, yeah. Or like, you know, you read a book and you hear about it and you're like, oh my God, because something deep inside resonates, but you still don't have the direct experience of it yet. Yeah. But you can resonate with it and see it and like all the formations of how it's expressed and, and can be. Yeah. But then once you really like step into it and it happens and you're like, holy. <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, wow. So when, tell us about coming down here. When, when did that happen? What, um, what led to that? So, yeah, time, time passed, and in 2008, I ended up moving to Mexico. I got out of the fashion industry. I was sort of at a place where I, I was having a bit of a resistance to working the industry anymore, mm-hmm. and, and even like within the event space and stuff, because all the drugs and alcohol that were tied to it. And I, I went to an acupuncturist, and I was in the lobby, and I was so little, she, the secretary could see that I was like in my head and so she was the actual angel of this whole space there was like a chiropractor an acupuncturist masseuse and somebody else I forget but she they had this secretary so she was observing me and then she's like hey honey is there anything bothering you like that I could maybe help with and I caught myself in my thoughts and oh yeah no 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 no, I'm good I'm totally fine and then for a bit of an existential crisis that I'm going through this is like 2006 (laughs) right and so my friends are like aware now to, to a degree because of the catalyst that I've been in their own lives. Mm-hmm. But that's still, the collective is still pretty shut down. And so I'm having this battle with 
my finances and money, what's money to me, what is my value, what am I bringing really mm-hmm. to life. You know, I'm still working in this modeling industry, I'm working in the nightclub industry and events and stuff. And so I brought it up to her and I was like, well, I'm having a bit of a, an issue with working in this industry, it's superficial, you know, kind of toxic, things like this. And I'm having a spiritual awakening at the same time that just keeps taking me to like new levels. And I'm like, how do I make this transition and let it go and stuff? I was like, you know, these, these can be dark spaces. And she kind of just took it in and had her own little moment. You know, I could see she was processing that and then feeling through what was coming through for her. And she goes, well, sweetie, maybe you're supposed to be there. And I'm like, she goes, sometimes the darkest places need the most light. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that was another catalyst for me and this like perceptional shift. Of like, okay, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I mean, to a degree, obviously, but what am I being mm. when I'm in that space, right? And so everything just sort of changed for me because I was not really drinking and not really partying, but still once in a while, yeah, I'm like, like, you know, a little thing. <laughs> oh, I'll have one drink with the client or this yeah. or that. So I really just tightened things up at that point and was like, how can I bring more light to every moment that I'm in these spaces? So it was like, whether it was with clients and stuff, it was like, how can I shift the dialogue from any sort of negativity that was being brought up into more light and like positive and like finding solutions as opposed to the problems or the issues. And so that was a a big catalyst for me because it just allowed me to have more time and a larger window of not living in this sort of cognitive dissonance aspect, Mm -hmm. right? And then it was about yeah, maybe a year and a half, two years of that. And then Mexico uh, came up on my radar with Playa del Carmen and then because they were doing a big event there. And that's when it felt right because I was like, I'm ready to drop all of this and really push myself in my creative process mm-hmm. because I was, just, I was just like waiting for the phone call. Right? Yeah. It was like, ring, ring. I knew it was coming. And then just enjoying it. Like, it was a great life. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, no complaints. <laughs> But I knew there was more to myself, and especially with everything that was unfolding. So then I kind of pushed that to the side, and I ended up going to Mexico for two years and created some really cool um, projects there. But then I was sort of became a face in the community, and some people, there were some haters there that didn't like what I was doing, or the fact that I was taking clients from them or, you know, stuff. And, and again, being a bright light in a place that's pretty dark mm. and the cartels had just moved in there and so the next thing I knew like I was dealing with immigration and police because these guys were calling cops on me and like this guy's here illegally and, and the yeah, cartels right. were coming yeah so I had guns and knives pulled on me and threatened and all this stuff so that was sort of the window where I'm like okay you know what I came here to do to prove to myself that I could do anything anywhere yeah, just make and it I work and I did it just make it work right and my perspective like through that time was to find the gaps what are the things that nobody's doing that could be done here, right? So it's like Nosara, you know, you come into a place like this, what's missing? Yeah. What are the things that I can bring to the community that nobody else is doing it instead of how can I compete yeah. with what's already here? Like, this is what I do, take it, you know? <laughs> right? So whether it's a restaurant, but it's like, I'm going to do the same food that everybody else is doing. And like, okay, but why don't you bring something else? Why don't you bring like Asian fusion or why don't you eat? Right. So I went back to Canada for one year to sort of regroup. And while I was there, as I started to, you know, just get more clear of what I wanted, I had taken a lot of the little pieces of places that I had been. Right. Like Playa was probably the closest to Loom Playa to what I wanted. Mm. I was like, beach life, small town, jungle all of that, but safer and cleaner (laughs) and a little more like, yeah, just safer and cleaner. I think good, good words. (laughs) And so this one day I was going to breakfast. I was going for brunch by myself. And while I was in line waiting for it to, you know, the next people to take their seats, the people in front of me started talking about Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. she's like oh yeah I just got back from Costa Rica da, 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 da. And, it, and for some reason that it's, that resonated okay, that little bubble but at this time it wasn't a bubble it was like streams like, yeah. <laughs> very clean very direct very and spontaneous so I just as soon as she said it, I just 
dialed in. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm, listen to the dialogue. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Then I had, din- I had breakfast, and then my buddy picked me up from there. So I came outside, jumped in the car, and we were talking. And then he had the radio on, but it was like low. But while we were talking, I heard Costa Rica. And then I was like, hold on, shh, turn the volume up. And then this guy had just got back from Costa Rica. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, I was in Costa Rica. Da, da, da. For some reason, I was thinking Puerto Rico. I hadn't really, like, Costa Rica had never been on my radar. Yeah. And so I kept saying Costa Rica, and I was like, Puerto Rico, that's weird. Like, I never really thought I'd resonate with Puerto Rico. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got, I think there was one more thing. We were driving down the road, and there was a billboard, and it said Costa Rica. No way. And I'm like, okay. So then I got home. And I started to do a little bit of digging on it, like just lightly. And then that's where I saw there was no army. And the blue zone came mm-hmm. into my radar. And then I started to do research on blue zones. And then within a month, I was like, I think this is the spot. Mm. And so sort of to cap that off after um, that little dig, I went to a mutual friend's dinner. And in the dinner was a friend that... I hadn't seen for a long time. We were acquaintances at that time. We're very, very good friends now. But at that time, and we knew of each other, and he was saying that he had just got back from Costa Rica at the dinner. And I'm like, oh my God, this place, it sounds amazing. It's calling to you. Yeah, and he's like, oh, Chris, you'll love it. you got to come check it out. So he had a house in Samro. Mm-hmm. And then this was like August, September of 2011. So he's like, I'm going down in December. If you want to come, check it out. You're welcome to stay with me for a little bit until we figure out, you know, some other options. And so I was like, cool, I'm thinking coming like kind of maybe end of January, early February. He's like, that's perfect because I had family that's there for Christmas into New Year's and then I'll have like a week or two for myself, a couple weeks to have his own time. So I ended up coming down February 5th of 2012. And that was also a little bit of another overlay in regards to the 2012 stuff that was going on at that time. End of the world, all of this. So what had dialed in for me was more, it's the end of my world, the end mm. of that old world for myself. And I'm not giving myself a bridge. Like with Mexico, I still had the bridge back to Toronto, my yeah. modeling agency, because when I came back in 2011, I called them back up. Yeah. And I was like, I'm back. And they're like, you said you were done. <laughs> and um, Almost, almost done. <laughs> almost. And it's really funny, because when I came back in that 2011, I was like, oh my goodness, they'll probably never book me again. Yeah. It's been two years, I'm older. <laughs> you know, and I got to get a book back together. And so I made like three calls within the week, had a full sheet done, had my book put back together, and I went to one audition. And it was, a, it was a roots campaign for the Olympics. And, <laughs> and like half of Ontario was there. And I booked it. They booked it for me. Wow. And I, was, I did one job. Huge cash came in. And I never did anything else again. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> they were like, Jesus, stop doing this. <laughs> I was so grateful. It was really, really funny. So, yeah. So I ended up in, in Costa Rica. And then staying at Jeff's. And I was, I was doing yoga at the time. I was teaching. I had, I had uh, my own little studio in like one of the uh, car law, those old warehouses out there mm. with my girlfriend at the time. And so when I came here, uh, there was a little beach place and they just built a deck in Samra on the beach. And so I went there a couple times and, and Jeff knew the owner. I made the introduction and I was like, would you be open to maybe having a yoga class here in the mornings before you open the kitchen or even while you're open the kitchen but if you can keep the volume down or whatever and then everybody can have breakfast here after. Yeah. And he was open to it. So I started teaching yoga on the beach there. Cool. And ended up, within a couple of weeks, it was packed every morning. Awesome. Yeah. And I was the only person doing it. So it was just like yeah. filling the gap. Right. It's yeah. so like, what's nobody doing? And then an addictions retreat center had opened up, up in the hill. And then they were looking for an instructor for breathwork, meditation, and yoga. And so I ended up meeting with them and we hit it off. So I would go there at six in the morning, do their breathwork meditation morning and then 7 a.m. I would go teach my yoga class at 7.30 to 8.45 and then come back at 9 and do a yoga class for them <laughs> for the, the addiction center and then my day was done my like 11, 11.30 for the rest of the day I just had the rest of the day myself and then another mutual friend of Jeff's was leaving and had this great little house that was like just off the beach with beach view for 400 bucks a month <laughs> two bedroom and so I scooped that up and had my own place now. And it was just like everything just kept unfolding until finally my property came into sight. And that was, I was meditating on that. Like, I'd love to get two houses, two little homes where I can live in one and rent out the other. Yeah. And then with everything that I got going on, 
I should be able to have a good life. And it ended up being the last property I ended up seeing out of everything in Sandra at that time. And ended up being the one. And, huh. and the price point, the Canadian dollar was on par with the US dollar, so I got it for like pennies on the dollar. And then I built the treehouse in the back, and that ended up becoming my main space. And then Airbnb, I was the first person on Airbnb. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> It, it actually, so like once I got the property, I was like, yeah, I got the property. And then I'm like, oh shit, I've got a property. Yeah. <laughs> now <laughs> I got to get I people here. But luckily I had a very big, follow, strong following on Facebook at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was maxed out and, and a lot of my friends were keys to me making it through with that mm-hmm. property. And then I ended up, a girl ended up, I ended up meeting this girl on the beach. We saw each other for about four months and she was a fa- uh, fashion um, stylist in New York City. No way. And so we ended up having an amazing uh, time together and she's the one who brought Airbnb into the picture. I was like, oh my God, you got to get Airbnb. So she did my whole, huh. my whole page for me for the houses and then all of a sudden my rent started going up through Airbnb because I started doing like nightlies as opposed to like the full months. Yeah. And yeah, and that was sort of the beginning of everything. Crazy. There. Yeah. And you just obviously fell in love here, so just decided to keep yeah, just thinking in, investing more. Flowed and the people, like after spending two years in Mexico, mm-hmm. and what I was dealing with there. To come here and just have it so chill and easy like, and like. Two different worlds. Yeah. You know? There's barely even police here, let alone. <laughs> like, and friendly and gentle. That, that poor Vida mentality here, mm-hmm. I think growing up with that, like being born into it. Yeah. Is. Not knowing the hustle and the. Yeah, the, the grind of North America. No, it's like you wake up and it's fresh fruit and there's fresh fish that come off the boat and you're just out surfing and like yeah. you go work some time in the fields. But everybody here owns their land, and, yeah. you know, and the families all really support each other and it's very a very special community. I know, like this whole street that we live on is pretty much one family. There's like eight houses that are almost all part of one family. That they just they're all a little sons, daughters, cousins. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And just support each other, and you know, it's exactly. uh, pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And then, and then I think a lot of the medicinal stuff started to come through for me, Pachamama, and started to make more friends in, in that sort of um, circle was another level for me because it was just like, okay, we're, we can go even deeper. And now I have like people of like mind, I'm not mm. just by myself anymore. And there were elders there yeah. that were showing me. And I was like, I've been oh, waiting years <laughs> for this. I've just been exploring and reading books and doing it all on my own. Right, yeah, yeah. With, with a couple of like, special teachers in between there, like my, my Qigong teacher, Master Kim, at that time was a big thing. But there was a big language barrier, which was hard. Um, but again, a lot of it was just intuitive like understanding, and using translation, like figuring it out. But his support and guidance were definitely foundational for my own growth and stability really through certain crisis like healing crises you know and when you're releasing layers and yeah. there's nothing to grab onto so then you started going deeper into the plant medicine world down here yeah uh, any any big shifts that came because obviously having done that much work already at that point like what do you feel shifted for you getting Well, it that? was really, I think the first eye ceremony I did was a Santo Daime white night at Pachamama. And all of a sudden it was like, in, in an hour, I was in a state of consciousness that would take me six months to get to. Yeah. Like fasting, <laughs> silence thing. And all of a sudden I was like, hold on a second. Yeah. This is fantastic. It was so comfortable for me. Mm. Because I had already achieved those higher states of consciousness through my own practice. Whereas a lot of people, medicine is... Their, their catalyst yeah. into starting to do the work. And that cracks them open. For exactly, the right? And so, um, but it was, even though I hit those levels, it, I mean, when the medicine really hit, it was taking me to like deeper, more expansive vistas of, of beauty and the divine and, and all of that. And so, um, a lot of that too was the catalyst for me going deeper in the dark and the shadow, right? And, the more light I started to cultivate and was able to hold in my own container allowed me to go deeper and into darker places. And, and like I said, to be able to come back. 
because there's a lot of people that go into the rabbit holes and they get lost and they get lost <laughs> and, and a lot of that is because they do not have a spiritual center mm. I mean they, they have them but they haven't tapped into it and anchored themselves within it mm. so it's like you're going into this cave with, with a tiny little candle yeah. <laughs> and your battery side yeah. and you're like where's the <laughs> and, and you're trying to get back out and so a lot of you know the conspiracy theorists and stuff like this they see the tinfoil hat because a lot of them have lost their mind and a lot of them don't have a focal point of where truth is or it's all negative it's always just the dark yeah. because they've never had an, an opportunity to experience the divine and see the truth right and so I think that's where I've been very very blessed is I've had the very a very strong balance on both sides and been able to go incredibly deep and dark and incredibly high and bright mm. and see sort of humanity's potential and the timelines that we're moving into as we go through this collective collective catharsis right in this collective healing process mm. um, yeah and yeah I'd love to Great segue to chat a little bit about that because, oh, you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I love following your stuff online. Uh, you've you've always been. You know, we joke about calling it Hawks News, <laughs> yeah. not Fox News. It's Hawks yeah. News. Uh, what inspired you to start like sharing more of that? Because you, you, like you share all sorts of you know quote unquote conspiracy theory type stuff, but you know a lot of especially over the last couple of years with everything been going on in the world. When, when did that really start for you, like, to get to be more vocal about sharing this stuff? Well, when, face, when, I, when people finally talked me into going on Facebook, I didn't want to be on it, but when I, it was 2008, because I went to Mexico, and friends were like, you have to get on, because this will keep us in touch. Mm-hmm. Right? It was different when I was living in Toronto and saw friends directly. All the time. So, mostly my shares started with... Um, inspiration and upliftment and encouragement and, and it kind of started the memes in regards to taking an image with a quote right and like that whole movement that had started back mm-hmm. a long time ago and and so it was positive stuff and then from there what would happen was people would inquire directly because they were still very scared to to speak publicly on, on those forums I guess so it would start with like internal talk and then I ended up making a group mm. called Out of the Box on Facebook. On Facebook, and then all my friends that had spoke to me privately, I would put them into this group so that they felt like they had a container of safety to be able to start to speak mm. um, with each other. And that was sort of the beginning of where it started. And then a couple of friends would be like, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Or like put some things in, you know. And then I started to share my perspective with that. Until it got to a point where that group was like 5,000, 6,000 people or something, friends of friends, and that was while I was here in Costa Rica, so that had been a course of five, six years, that things started to come out just on my page, and I would yeah. start to speak to it to like everybody that was following, not just my group. Or I would start it in the group and get perspective to see where my perception was in regards to the collective of my friends and, and those people and then I would bring it out so I could have a very clear way of presenting it not so judgmentally or like how, how can I bring this into checking things a little bit exactly testing the waters because it was a whole new <laughs> experience at that time totally. and so that was sort of where it started until I had built up you know friends would cut me off and like I can't follow you. This is da la la la. But then new people would come in, and new friends would come and be like, "Oh my god, that's incredible! Like that's what you know, whatever." And then it got to a place where I just I didn't care anymore because like where I was with my own relationship with Creator and, and Spirit, and myself, and the community that I had built at that time was so supportive. There'd be times where people would say something, and I didn't even have to say anything because thirty people would jump in and be like. Well, if you actually take a look at the way he said it, he wasn't judging me. Yeah. Right? He wasn't judging me, right? Because awesome. I had been there for them so many times. When yeah. they, had, they had wanted to express themselves and they were worried about their family and their friends and like all of those things. And so that was really the, the, the beginning of it. And then it started to get a little deeper and a little deeper and a little deeper until Instagram came out. And then I started my Instagram. And so that got built to about 5,000 and then 
Facebook was 5,000, and then Twitter started. And on Instagram, though, I had, because now I had my property and my own promotion stuff and like a business to operate as well. Yeah. I was like, okay, there's, there's a fine line of what I can share because I don't want to scare people away. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the close friends overlay. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like everybody that was close that was in tune and had been following my journey thus far had that stream of anything that I wanted to share or like give my own perspective or like deep digs on things that I was finding out in regards to the banking system, you know, the Catholic Church and the royal families and all of these other players that were involved. And then I had my main like page, which was just like, beautiful Costa Rica. Yeah. <laughs> Come to this event I'm doing. And then it wasn't until COVID hit. Mm. When COVID hit, and I was like, okay, it's happening. Now mm. it's it's all coming to fruition. And that's when like a lot of friends were messaging me like, dude, it's all fucking happening. Like, You've been talking about this for ages. <laughs> for years, <laughs> you know? And then that's when I, like, I just checked in with spirit and, and it was like, it's time to take down all the veils. And mm. so I, I just got rid of the friends thing and made everything public at that point. And then that's when like shit really started hitting the fan because there was people that were, you know, still completely asleep and I was showing the bottom of the rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> what did we go from monkeys and butterflies <laughs> to, you know? Drinking to <laughs> all the corruption in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the dark, 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 like even beyond what the public domain is seeing. So that was sort of that thing. And then that's eventually when Big Tech deleted me from the internet <laughs> and just wiped me out on everything. Even like, I couldn't even find photos of myself from old modeling pictures. Like that was all gone off Google. Was really? Oh yeah. And then my computer, Microsoft ended up uploading a program to my computer and wiped out my computer. So I lost all my bookmarks, all my memes, all of my, even half my music Not was gone. The memes. My memes. <laughs> <laughs> I had some pretty good memes. <laughs> all my Kyle memes were gone. <laughs> Yeah, so then... Crazy, they can do... Obviously, they can do that, but it's wild to think that... Yeah, I just woke up one morning and it was like, this account has been deleted. It wasn't even suspended or like call our community standards or anything. It was like, deleted. You're and done. I went to Facebook. I was like, what the fuck? Deleted. Just got Twitter, executed. Deleted. <laughs> it was one wipe out. Wow. And so... I wonder if that's like a button in someone's office. Like, <laughs> well, we're, know, seeing, like, we're seeing that in Twitter now. Yeah. Right? We're seeing a Musk's takeover and showing just how much stuff was going on behind the scenes in regards to silencing people yeah. so they could push a narrative that is leading them to more power and control and it's scary mm-hmm. if people really really understand the depths of that like imagine not being able to speak out like if you don't have free speech you have nothing yeah. because there are people that have nothing and all they have is their speech is their word is their ability to speak out to share about the the inequality that's happening yeah. and if that is taken from them they have nothing yeah. and so and we're just seeing it on Twitter now let alone like oh, that's just Facebook exactly. and all it's all tied big tech Google's algorithms and shutting down websites that they don't want people to see or they don't want people to have anything it becomes a, a massive echo chamber of their agenda mm. and, and they can sway public opinion Right? It's like we see it in the media, how they can take something that's very small and make it look massive yeah. so that people's minds... Like monkeypox? Remember when that was almost the <laughs> thing for... Right? Or Hillary Clinton's killer bees and all yeah. that stuff. So, or they can take something that is a big movement and make it look very tiny. Yeah. Right? They can see how many times have we looked at, at the media taking these protests that were, that were massive, but they Don't were even get speaking out about a certain agenda. Yeah. And they would be like, oh, a few thousand people showed up. And it was like, there was a hundred thousand people there. And you showed the back alley of like some guy that was walking by. Or they'll take something that was tiny and then make it look like it was really massive. It's like a magnifying glass. So they can do that. And then I remember this one very beautiful saying a long time ago is that the ultimate tyranny within a society is not by martial law, but by the psychological manipulation of consciousness through which reality is defined so that those who are in prison do not even realize that they are. Mm. And that's part of that process. Yeah, the, like, the deep brainwashing kind of shit. Exactly. That I've heard people talking about that lately, like even taking someone, like it's, it's 
to the point now where if you take someone who's like fully on board with everything like the narrative and the jabs and all the things that like even if you sat them down and showed them a documentary about what's actually going on they won't believe it exactly. because it's too it's too ingrained yeah. yeah they're fully committed it's they're at a point now where it's e- complete ego preservation yeah and cognitive dissonance yeah and their whole reality like if you think about how many people shunned family shunned their loved ones cut them off all of this stuff because they were so committed to the system and this thing (laughs) that now like how do you come back from that right the the level of humility to come back from that not most a lot of people are able to go into and a lot of that is because they haven't done the work Mm. right yeah they're still so attached to the ego which is like coming back to that very first question is that's a big piece of the process obviously is like letting go realizing that like you said in that mantra that you had for so long of like that you're not this solo little piece that's trying to make it on its own it's like you are part of the whole thing but so many people haven't gotten to that first step yet exactly but <laughs> yeah. I also believe that this is part of that process now we're seeing things that I had to do digs on or other people that I had to share that had been doing deep deep research because it would never get into the public domain bring that to light now it's all coming to the surface mm. it's coming to a place where no matter what degree of consciousness you're at you're not able to not see it right it's going to literally you're going to have to put your head in a hole yeah. to not see it because it's <laughs> which coming which many will still do well, yeah <laughs> but for sure but even then it's going to it's going to be like people tapping on them being like hey and you're like hey. you want uh, to get your head out of that hole no because because no, you know what it's all in your mind when you, when you finally take the, your head out of the hole and you see the truth of existence, it's an incredibly beautiful experience. You know? Once you've come to terms with it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. It's about being getting to The that matrix point. is just this, this overlay mm. of shadow and darkness. But the, true, the truth is unconditionally loved. And, and like you can't even put it into words because it's so beyond most people's comprehension the depth of beauty and love forgiveness and compassion and grace that that we are yeah you know beautifully said thanks any i'm super curious like any predictions or like projections (laughs) of of where because like we're obviously at a huge turning point right now with everything and you know things are starting to come out a lot of this stuff is starting to hit the mainstream yeah um like do you feel like it's gonna keep it's gonna intensify like remember remember people like talking about the storm you know and they're like we're in the storm and i'm like we were we were on the peripheral of the storm like i think the real storm is gonna be when those in power are being extracted from it and on a, you could say a more multi-dimensional experience, it's going to be like a collective exorcism, mm. because this this is not just a physical experience that we're having, and there are energies that are tied to this third-dimensional reality that are of higher dimensionality, but still within the negative frequencies that have been ruling and controlling humanity for millennia, mm. and we can see that if we look through time, and you really take a look at it clearly, right? The problem is most people don't want to look at the whole puzzle. They'll, they'll look at things separate, right? Because it's still that separate consciousness. And But when you see the wholeness and the totality of what's been transpiring generation after generation and after generation and coming to this peak now where they're making a final push for total control and big government, right? Um, we're, we're about to experience something I don't think that has ever been experienced by humanity. Yeah. But <laughs> through that eye of the needle on the other side is going to be like a cosmic orgasm. <laughs> and I mean that truthfully of awakening. Because mm. if you think of your own personal awakening and, and the splendor of what that was for you personally, when those realizations and that energy start to move through you in that, like, Imagine that happening as a collective, as a collective humanity having this all at the same time. Mm. It's going to ripple through the whole universe. Crazy. Yeah. 
kind of like the this image just came to mind of like when you're making popcorn and it's like you know couples start popping that's exactly it and I, it sounds Earth like we're like at that kernel. point of where it's like it all starts to just like blah, 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 exactly. blah. <laughs> the, there's been the ripples and now it's starting and now it's going to yeah. be like yeah yeah crazy um, and that's a big part of why I'm so excited to be here <laughs> you know in a place where we're I feel like here that was a big part of our decision to move down here was well, also because it's as beautiful as it is as you know like uh, just you know we fell in love just being here but being in a place where like we have food growing right on our land here and right across the street there's like organic farms and there's a market that happens every week that we can get up you know like we have produce delivered to our house yesterday straight from the farm you know it's like your your basic necessities are not going to be really able to be taken away i feel like even if the internet goes down even if all these things happen as long as there's still access to like gasoline somehow <laughs> you know like we'll be able to figure it out i think i feel more than i think that the timelines will not be as long as their original intention because the truth is the positive forces and consciousness and energy is actually negating a lot of their original ill intent hmm. But some things were already put into motion and have to be played out. And, and it'll just be to a degree that is needed and necessary for more awakening within the collective consciousness. Right? Like, for instance, the, the COVID thing was supposed to be still going with yeah. no vaccines yet. And just keeping people in the state of fear of, like, COVID's 100 times worse than we found out it was. And the vaccine is still in process. And they were going to keep crushing the communities and keep crushing the financial system and keep crushing the businesses but a lot of that got negated mm. right so it's like we had to go through parts of there's certain things that we have to go through just like in our own healing yeah. there's things that we can't skip it's like I don't want to feel this <laughs> I don't like, want to do this part but we have to and so <laughs> but just... not to the degree that it could have been right mm. because we caught it in time and we're able to, to to begin the purification process in a more gentle manner Mm. Right, and so that's what's happening right now. Is like I feel we're really in in the most positive ascension timeline that was left available for humanity. It's very optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> Not exactly what I expected to come out of here. <laughs> no, there's, there's, trust me, we still got some stuff. <laughs> but like I said, we're in a very good place to navigate the, that. You know, for COVID, for me, it was like I knew it was coming, so I was completely set up. I had my own little sanctuary, yeah. food thing. I had my own private beach up in the back. Yeah. You know, everybody was going through it out there, and I'm, I was, just, I felt like tank. Yeah. You know, in, in the matrix, just like you gotta look like, like tank too. <laughs> what do we do? And I'm like, Brrr. yeah, this is what okay. You do. Go left, do this, get rid of that. You know, here's my right. online course on all the things you need to know about awakening. <laughs> and the friends that had paid attention earlier were in better positions than those that that hadn't. So, um, friends made some very challenging choices. You know, like letting go of work that they, you know, it was that or do things that were against their mor moral integrity. Yeah. Some people downsized and made little shifts. And I was like, just let go of your ego and know that this isn't permanent. Yeah. But these are some moves that you can make to take stress off of your life. Sell your house. You have a $2 million home. Sell and get a $1 million home. Yeah. And have $500,000 that you don't have to worry about. You can write out a whole year yeah. and spend time with your family and your kids and not have to worry about any of that stuff. You know? And they made those moves. And they were like, this is the best thing they ever did. Mm. Made their family stronger where all their families were falling apart. Yeah. All the people that are still in that ego game of like keeping up with the Joneses and having to have because all their the image and they've tied so much of who they are to those things, right? Oh my god, if I get rid of the car, but the girl I'm seeing is not going to love me. It's like, <laughs> who cares? Yeah, <laughs> maybe because she's someone that just not. loves you for who you are. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so this is the direction we're moving now, and I see more and more of it happening. Some people have had to go through some very, very hard lessons yeah. during this time, but. And I have definitely like, especially being here, this place is like, it's, it's a vortex <laughs> it's for another that. level. It's all no of your stuff gets brought up. <laughs> it's beautiful and amazing. And it's also this like healing vortex that just throws all of your shit in your face. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're doing good. Eh? Deal with this, <laughs> you know? 
and and watching other people deal with stuff like that being here too you know and it, it's i've always found it super interesting since being here of like how many people also just like get welcomed in versus get spat out you know it's like people yeah. similar like back to this doing the work thing like a lot of people that come here are very like ego centered and like trying to get theirs and trying to you know like not connecting with the people and the, the town and the community and all these things they just get ejected they get like robbed and they like get scared and they can't you know and they're just like fuck this <laughs> and uh but then the people that are willing to look at their stuff and to and to integrate and all these things uh, learn spanish you know go through all the stuff of connecting with this town it just like opens its arms and welcomes you in and you know, it's it's been beautiful. That's that's been our experience. For the more we've committed to being here, the more we've sunk in. It's just like it just keeps opening up more and more, and it's amazing. Yeah, I'm loving it. Nah. Yeah, no, it's been eleven years, and I still get tested. Yeah. <laughs> just like yesterday. Oh my god, dude! This whole last month and a half is like a whole other level. I'm like, okay, seriously? Like, I thought I was somewhere. I thought juggling done, but... eight balls was good. Now you're thrown in the ninth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I could keep riffing on this stuff all day. Um, no, for, as we kind of move towards wrapping up, though, what? You know, if, if there's people listening that are kind of just starting to wander into this stuff, starting to question things, starting to think about maybe stepping outside the box a little bit more, yeah. like, do you have any advice for people kind of at those early stages? Um, yeah, I would say the main focus and the most important focus, truly, is to stay out of fear to the best of your ability. Because this is the energy that is needed by, I guess you could say, the negative forces of nature. To, to continue to manifest in our reality and so the, that, that work of just being able to look at something clearly and not fall into fear is is beyond knowing all the things that I know mm. but still falling into fear yeah. because you're not feeding it right and so that's really it's not, it's, it's not about fighting these forces not about doing battle with these forces it's about not feeding these forces and allowing mm. them to just fade away because if they are not given the energy and the sustenance they'll have to shift their food source to love that's their choice mm. we're giving them the choice if you want to continue to move into this next expression of humanity you have a choice and it's only one choice. You have to let go of all of the fear and all of the pain and all of the suffering and move into love and forgiveness for yourself as well. Hmm. Any like practical applications of that? Yeah, I mean, emotional clearing is really the, the, the key catalyst I've found for myself because those are the blockages and that, that, that is the doorway to the spiritual realm. You can't access the spiritual realm without going through the emotional body. And so as we start to clear those old emotions and the old patterns and the old traumas and all of that stuff, yourself will come through naturally. It's not something that you have to like create. Mm. It's already there. It's just waiting to come through. And so all the programming fades away and all of that fear and the doubt and the worry and the securities and the pain and suffering. And as we clear it and clear it and clear it, more of the self starts to come through like a spring, like that bubble. Remember I had that bubble? Mm -hmm. It was like one little <laughs> bubble was coming up. Yeah. But it was all clogged with all of this shit. And as I started to clean it away, this, this stream started to unfold until it became a waterfall. And it just became this incredible, beautiful thing that I could build a life around. That mm. now guides you through everything. It guides me through everything, yeah. That's Even when I have my moments where I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then it just comes through again because I get out of my mind and move back into that that place of stillness and, and the heart space, the heart space and, and all of a sudden I just remember everything's perfect mm. and I'm perfect and in my imperfectness <laughs> you know mm -hmm. um, and the next thing I know like this next venture it comes through yeah. you know this opportunity now with Bali comes through and it came to me yeah. right just fell into your lap it fell into my with lap your best friend that we <laughs> talked about throughout full circle right yeah and he was a big part of my initial awakening. Mm. 
and now to see where he is with his own relationships and his own growth and stuff and now we're coming back together and it's going to be a, a powerhouse and I'm excited exciting yeah that's exciting well my man thank you so much for being here this has been a fucking blast um, pleasure I'm, I'm so gra- grateful. grateful we got to connect and I just selfishly I'm grateful to have gotten to hear more of your story <laughs> well, I'm, I'm uh, really glad to have you guys in the community you know you're a beautiful beautiful couple and you do so much for so many and that's the energy that I'm, I'm really honored and grateful to have as, as another pillar. You know. Thank you. It makes yeah. me feel good being able to go to, to Bali now and know that this town's in good hands. Yeah. Well, like we talked about, it's, it, the town has a way of managing that on its own. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for, to the most part. You know, it, some people don't listen to the, the cues to get the fuck out as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's more a lot of that investment. People are just coming in the building, they're buying a house, and then they're like, oh, I can rent this out, and thing, but they're not really part of the community, yeah. right? And they're only here for a little week here or two, whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. Not willing to stick it out through the through the rains and the storms they and probably the, wouldn't be able the to. moodiness. <laughs> totally. It was intense <laughs> this year. Yeah, it just was dragged up for sure. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, If you want to dive in and start doing some of the work on your own, please hop into the show notes, click the link tree. There's all sorts of options for you to get involved and start digging in on this stuff. Uh, Anywhere from free resources to start guiding your journey uh, on your own to accountability groups to men's groups with breath work to one-on-one work with me there's there's all sorts of different ways to get involved depending on where you're at what you're wanting to invest in the level of support you are looking for and yeah i'm happy to support so please check those out if you want to start showing up better leading better feeling better and just being a better man for your family and for your work this this is what it's all about being more of service and, and pushing yourself so that you can so if you want to dig into some of that, please check out the resources in the, the show notes there. And once again, thank you so much for listening. I, I do truly appreciate it. And if you feel called to share with some people in your life, that would also be incredibly appreciated. So we can get the word out there about this whole movement, about men showing up, putting in the work, and being more of service to the people in their lives and to the world. Uh, that's really what this is all about. And it, I'm here to help inspire more men to do so. So if you can help us out with that, again, it would be tremendously appreciated. And either way, thank you so much for listening. It's been a pleasure being here. And I will see you next time on Men Doing the Work.